You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. With the Delta variant spreading rapidly and clear data lacking on breakthrough infections among the vaccinated, health officials are implementing mitigation efforts to prevent a fourth surge of the virus. In this episode, former U.S. Surgeon General Jerome Adams joins Washington Post Live for a conversation focused on where we are in the pandemic. Let's listen. Good afternoon. I'm Libby Casey, politics and accountability anchor at The Washington Post. Welcome to our program, Coronavirus, Vaccines and Variants. My guest is Dr. Jerome Adams. He is the former U.S. Surgeon General serving in the Trump administration from 2017 to January of this year. Dr. Adams, welcome to Washington Post Live. Really good to be with you, Libby. And uh, even after that introduction where I seem like Dr. Doom, I really do hope that we can help people understand that there is reason for hope and optimism. We truly do have tools today that we did not have last year. And we just need to get people to utilize those tools to understand the opportunities we have to get out of this pandemic and to live with COVID, which is what we're gonna have to do. Let's talk about some of the tools that uh, leaders are, are using right now. I wanna talk about this breaking news that New York City will become the first major American city to require proof of vaccination to enjoy outdoor activities. We're talking dining, theater, going to the gym, and workers at those places have to be vaccinated too. So, so what's your opinion of going this route rather than doing what the city of Washington DC is doing, which is requiring masks instead? Well, we know that there are several tools we have available to defend ourselves against COVID and particularly against this Delta variant. We know we have vaccines, we have testing, we have masking, uh, but it's important for people to understand the number one tool that we have available is vaccinations. And when you're engaging in a public setting, it's important to know who's vaccinated and who is not so that you can protect yourself individually, but also so that you can protect a public environment. And so uh, I, I uh, actually am surprised it took this long for someone to get to a point where they said, we're gonna start requiring proof of vaccination. But uh, I just wanna applaud New York for, uh, for really doing what they can to stay open because this, this virus is not going away. The public needs to understand that we are going to have to learn to live with COVID. And one way to live with COVID is to engage in these mitigation and these verification measures so that we don't have to shut down. We can stay open and we can do it safely. Dr. Adams, you've been critical of the CDC guidance that came out this summer when uh, they said that fully vaccinated people no longer had to wear masks. You said it did not seem to motivate anyone to go out and get vaccinated. Now we have the additional information about the dangers of the Delta variant and the transmissibility. So just last week, the CDC updated its guidance calling for fully vaccinated people once again to wear masks in public indoor settings where there are high transmission rates. Does the guidance go far enough? I think the guidance goes far enough. Really, people need to understand that, that public health is implemented on a local and on a state level. And so what the CDC did originally was put public health officials in a terrible bind, in a difficult situation where they didn't have that cover from the CDC to be able to do the things that were appropriate based on the level of transmission in their community. The CDC has said, and I think very appropriately, if you're in a place with, a, with substantial or high transmission, then you need to be wearing a mask in an indoor setting. And uh, unfortunately, that's uh, about 90% of our country right now. And so we need 
to help people understand we can get to a place where we don't have to mask in indoor settings, but it's gonna take all of us working together, getting vaccinated, masking, uh, testing as appropriate, doing the things that will get us out of this pandemic. Now, what does shock me, and this is something I wanna make sure we do talk about a little bit, Libby, uh, I'm concerned, I'm very concerned. As a matter of fact, I'm frustrated at local health officials' hands being tied now uh, with these bans on mask mandates, with these bans on asking people about their vaccination status. Uh, these are important public health tools that we uh, need to keep available so that we can use them as appropriate. So what should families do if they live in one of those states where a governor like Republican Governor Greg Abbott in Texas has banned mask mandates? Is he putting children and the vulnerable at risk? Well, uh, here's the way I think about it. The risk of your child getting hit by lightning is incredibly small, infinitesimally, infinitesimally small. However, uh, if a school let your kid go out and play on the monkey bars in a thunderstorm, and they got hit by lightning, that school district would likely be sued. And uh, I am very interested to see what will happen in the future if children are exposed to this virus at school and something happens and uh, it's, uh, you come to find out that there were measures that could have been taken, reasonable measures, to have protected those students. Uh, for the individual parents out there, and as you mentioned, I have a 17, a 15, and an 11-year-old. My older children are vaccinated because they're able to. My 11-year-old is not able to be vaccinated. So uh, I, as a parent, will be making sure uh, my children are wearing a mask in school, even if it's not mandated, because that's how we stay safe, given that we currently live in an area of substantial transmission. So that's the responsibility that you and your wife will take for your children. You know, you also mentioned uh, your wife undergoing cancer treatment. We've, we've heard you interviewed about that before, and we really hope she's doing well. When we talk about your wife, though, your daughter, what is the government's obligation to protect them? You know, you talked about the choice that you'll make, but but what if parents aren't making those choices? Where does the government's responsibility lie? Well, and I think that's the question we all need to be asking ourselves and asking our local and state and federal public health officials. Uh, I do think the government should be there to protect the people. Uh, I will tell you that I also appreciate the challenges that are faced when you're trying to balance health versus reopening, the economy versus keeping people safe. Those are tough trade-offs. And that's again why I actually appreciate what New York is doing. I appreciate what the NFL has done in terms of the requirements that they have for their players. I really think a lot of this is going to play out in the business uh, arena and also at schools, at colleges, uh, because those are places where you have large groups gathering those are places uh, that have in the past um, had authority and used their authority to enforce public health measures. And I just want the government to not get in the way of these businesses, of these schools, of these institutions, being able to do what they feel is safe to protect people when they come together. Do you think we would see more governments, more governmental entities stepping up and mandating vaccines, more businesses doing so, if the FDA gave full approval uh, for these vaccines? And, and if so, should they be speeding up the process? Well, it's important for people to understand, first of all, that there is plenty of data out there that shows these vaccines are safe and efficacious. What I've been told at this point, uh, both from people inside the government and from experts outside the government, 
is that the FDA right now is mostly focused on making sure they can manufacture large, large amounts of these vaccines safely before they get to full approval. Now, that's important. It's important for the FDA, FDA to do it right. Uh, it's also important for the FDA to prioritize this issue over and above what else is going on because I've heard many businesses, hospitals, say that they are hesitant to mandate these vaccines until they are fully licensed. You even heard the U.S. military say that they will not mandate these vaccines until they are fully licensed. So an entity that the president of the United States has control over right now is not mandating vaccines because they're not fully licensed. It's incredibly important for that reason. Uh, people talk about hesitancy. Uh, I don't know that this will have much of an impact from a hesitancy standpoint. I think some of the people out there who are truly resistant are going to be resistant no matter what the FDA says or does. But I do know from a legal standpoint, businesses and organizations will move to mandate and a lot of them will do so quickly. And the quickest way you ramp up vaccinations is if we can get full licensure for, uh, for these vaccines from the FDA. So what should the role right now be of the CDC, Dr. Adams? You know, you, you've talked about how you see the schools, institutions, got, you know, businesses perhaps taking the lead in, in implementing some of these vaccine mandates. But, but where does the CDC come in in terms of communicating clear messaging? And, and I do want to point out that you have, have said that at the beginning of this pandemic, you and Dr. Fauci famously advised against mask wearing and that you regret that. You felt those statements were premature. Um, but you've been critical in the, of the CDC just this year of, of, you know, their messaging and trying to get clarity to Americans as to what they should be doing. What is their role? Well, the CDC's role is to provide um, national level guidance based on the best current science. And we need to help, help people understand, number one, that science isn't about a final destination, a final answer. Science is a journey. It's about always looking to figure out, is there a new way? Is there a better way to do things? Has the information that we based prior decisions on changed? And that happened to me uh, when I was advising the public. That's happened with the CDC. When that happens, you have to be honest. You have to be transparent. You have to say either, look, we made a mistake, we misjudged, or the information that we were basing that prior advice on changed. So that's the CDC's role. And I think they need to be a little bit more uh, forthcoming, more transparent. They need to, to move a little bit quicker, quite frankly, because they're not moving at the pace of this virus. And so they're saying things that conflict with what people are seeing on the ground. When you look at the fact that, that people who have been vaccinated are able to transmit this virus, uh, that's one example of where the CDC guidance was lagging behind what people were seeing with their own eyes. And that hurts your credibility. Practically, I think the CDC needs to help us understand what a smart, intelligent, um, and practical testing strategy looks like moving forward. And I've called, called for that because last year we didn't have testing, Libby. Uh, we were struggling to stand up testing. Now we've got plenty of testing, but it's down 75, 80% from what it was in December. And one way we can safely open, in addition to vaccine mandates or vaccine verifications, is making sure we're testing people when they're coming in and out, making sure we're doing surveillance testing to catch um, new surges in new places. And the, that's what I think the CDC, CDC should be focused on, transparent communication, making sure you're giving people practical guidance based on the newest science so that they can implement it at a local level.
So is contact tracing among vaccinated Americans a missed opportunity? Because we just don't have a lot of data on that. Well, uh, contact tracing is tough if you aren't testing, number one. Number two, if you don't have the staff to contact trace. And uh, there is a big debate over whether with a variant as contagious as, uh, as Delta variant, whether or not it's practical to contact trace and isolate people. So the jury's still going to be out on contact tracing, but we have to first start with testing. And if we can catch some of these cases early, we can, in fact, isolate them before they spread to other people. I was talking to the chief medical officer of a summer camp just uh, a few hours ago, and they were open for seven weeks. They only had two positive cases, and they were quickly able to isolate those two positive cases because they tested everyone before they came into camp. And then twice a week, they tested everyone with rapid tests within the camp, and they stacked that with everyone who was eligible, age 12 and up, uh, needing to be vaccinated and have verification of vaccinations. These are basic public health tools that when we use, you can safely bring people together and keep camps, schools, uh, uh, restaurants, sporting events open. Uh, but again, we can't, we've got to use them. We, we can't stay open if we don't use these tools. Let's talk more about vaccines. The U.S. has now hit President Biden's vaccination target of getting 70% of adults at least one dose. Uh, but it's a month after their July 4th goal. So how significant do you see that number? And does the timing hitting that goal late matter? Well, the later we hit these goals, the, of course, the, the more it matters because the more you're seeing virus spread, uh, the more you're seeing variants emerge. And, uh, and it's important for people to understand that, again, we've got to get more people vaccinated. That said, I don't want to be uh, Mr. Downer the whole time or Dr. Downer the whole time. Uh, vaccinations are up 25% this week. That is significant. And they're up most in places that had the lowest vaccination rates. We're getting uh, between a half a million and three quarters of a million people vaccinated every single day. We need to normalize uh, the positive health behaviors that are going on out there instead of focusing on and normalizing the negative health behaviors we need to help people overcome their psychological and their real world barriers to getting vaccinated. We know many people still have difficulty because they're in the gig economy, uh, going to get vaccinated and worrying about not being able to work the next day due to vaccine side effects. We know people have legitimate questions that when answered can help bring them to a place where they get vaccinated. So lots of work to be done, but lots of progress that uh, our country and the public health community should be proud of. Let's talk about more specifics that can be done. And, and I want to zoom in to one of the hot spots in America right now, Louisiana. Hospitals there are overwhelmed. I'm sure you're hearing reports of it, Dr. Adams. There are more than 11,000 cases reported just, since just Friday. And vaccination rates there are still some of the lowest in the country at just 37%. So they're offering free entry to Louisiana State Parks, free drinks, even the chance to win $100,000 a week. What else should the government or public health leaders be doing? Well, you're right, and I want uh, everyone watching today to know we are not crying wolf here. Uh, this surge that we're going through right now has every potential to be and already looks to be the worst surge we faced so far. We're at 50,000 hospitalizations today in this country, which is where we were in February of last year. February of last year, no vaccines, uh, not enough testing, uh, not enough masks uh, to go around. We were at 50,000 hospitalizations. We are there and still rising in this country, but there is more that we can do.
And as you mentioned, there are incentives. But I believe that as with every other vaccine uh, in this country where we have high vaccination rates, schools are going to be important. Uh, we need to make sure we're utilizing them as touch points. Uh, I loved President Biden's idea of pop-up clinics at schools. That was a, a suggestion I'd made to Congress a few weeks ago and work sites. There, were pe there are people who will resist doing something because the president says so, because the government says so, um, because uh, local politicians say so. But if their business, uh, their place of employment says, you have to do this in order to work here, they will do it. And so the more we can empower and engage businesses to, uh, to encourage, promote, uh, and uh, in some places require vaccinations, the more we'll see those rates tick up. We have an audience question that comes to us from Louis Sokol, who lives right here in Washington, D.C. And Louis wants to know, how likely are the current vaccines to be effective against future variants? And will we need booster shots, uh, like flu shots? I will also add in and ask, is it time to start giving booster shots now? That Those are great questions. Uh, let me quickly unpack them. I want people to know that the current COVID vaccines are still highly effective against uh, all strains of COVID that we know about in terms of preventing hospitalization and death. So the two things that you should most care about. Now, we are seeing immunity start to wane against the Delta variant and uh, potentially the new Gamma variant uh, in regards to whether or not it prevents spread of the virus. But that said, the most important thing to you and your loved ones, preventing hospitalization and death, these vaccines are still highly effective. I do think that we will need booster shots in the future for these vaccines, uh, especially for people who are older, people who are vulnerable. And in many cases, those are the people who were vaccinated first, so they've had more time for their immunity to wane. What we're seeing suggests that that will happen in the future, but we're not there right now. And I got asked this question by another physician. And what I said to this physician just yesterday, an older physician, comorbidities, I said, look, the vaccines are effective right now uh, against the variants that are out there right now. The way that we slow down the emergence of variants is to get more people vaccinated. And if you get a booster shot right now, it's not going to provide you um, much benefit against the current variants. But what may happen in the future is we need a new booster that adapts to future variants, similar to the flu shot every year. So what I advise to people right now is not to go out and seek out a booster shot unless you've talked to your doctor um, or health provider and they recommend it. But stay tuned and do all you can to get people around you vaccinated because that will lessen the shot that any of us need a booster in the future because that will mean that we have COVID under better control and there aren't new variants emerging. Dr. Adams, I've heard you talk a lot about like localities and companies taking initiative and requiring uh, proof of vaccine, but are there classes of people, groups of people who just you just think should mandatorily be vaccinated? I'm thinking of healthcare workers and teachers in particular. You know, the CDC reported last week that only 45% of the aides working in long-term care facilities are vaccinated and some hospitals have similar issues. Should it be required? Well, that is a, a fantastic question, and I will tell you that from a medical standpoint, I think they should be required. Uh, for anyone who's working with vulnerable populations, uh, nursing homes, healthcare settings, uh, uh, you know, the, in particular, I do think 
that medically it makes sense because I know these vaccines are safe and effective and I know that people who are unvaccinated are putting these individuals at risk. Now, from a practical standpoint, I do understand the concern that people have of mandating a vaccine that is not fully licensed. And so it is important that we continue to push uh, for the FDA to explain to us why they aren't fully licensed and to give us a realistic timeline so that people understand what is going on. I also think it's important to say, look, if you're not vaccinated, then you're going to have to do other things to show us that you aren't putting people at danger. So in hospitals, for instance, last year before we had vaccines, we knew that healthcare workers had some of the lowest rates of spread of COVID. Why is that? Well, it's because they were wearing full PPE the entire time. They were wearing masks. They were doing the other mitigation measures that we know protect those around us. So if you're not gonna be vaccinated, then I think it's appropriate that we say, we're gonna test you more. We're gonna make you wear a mask, uh, whereas other people not, won't necessarily have to wear a mask if they're in a place of low transmission. Uh, we're going to deny you the ability to come together in some congregate settings. Uh, it's, it's not really picking on those individuals. It's saying, look, we have a deadly virus out there and there are a, a certain number of tools in our toolkit. And what we can't do is use none of those tools. We've got to use a combination of the tools that make the most sense for the environment and the individual. So uh, I do think that, again, medically, it's appropriate to mandate these vaccines because they're safe and effective. But practically, we've got to get that full FDA licensure so that it helps people feel more comfortable with a mandate. Well, we're out of time, so we'll have to leave it there. Thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Jerome Adams. Really appreciate your time today. Thank you, and go to vaccines.gov to find out where you can get your vaccination today. It's okay to have questions. It's not okay to let misinformation lead you into a bad decision. Thank you again. Well, to check out what interviews we have coming up, please head to our website. That's WashingtonPostLive.com. You can register and you can find out more information about all of our upcoming programs. I'm Libby Casey. Thank you for watching. Thanks for listening. To hear more interviews from this series and other Washington Post Live programs, visit us at WashingtonPostLive.com.